Hello, everybody, and welcome in to another episode of the Lion's Edge podcast by BetMGM. I'm your host, Chase Kitty. Another very exciting week of podcasting on tap. It is week one. We got the appetizer last week of college football. We got the real full five-course meal this week. The Backyard Brawl is back. I'm fired up. Of course, we needed to do a big episode to get ready for the first true big week of college football, week one here of the 2022 season. So my guest today, no beating around the bush. It is a 20-minute conversation with the one and only Phil Steele. He's got great insight. His magazine over the last 27, 28 years has been pretty much the gold standard on college football previews and predictions. And I've got all kinds of good questions for him. What his big takeaways were from all that research he and his team put in. A couple of questions about his process, how he deals with like radical variance, topics that we care about in the gambling markets, how he deals with the transfer portal, how he deals with uh, new FBS teams. I got a JMU question in there for him that I was kind of curious about. Uh, I left it in because, frankly, I felt like it was valuable information, insight into his process. So let's get right into it. Here's my conversation with Phil Steele. All right, very pleased to be joined now by Phil Steele. The magazine is College Football 2022 by Phil Steele. If you pay attention to college football, I'm sure you know what it is. It says right there on the front, the book the experts cannot do without. I certainly co-signed that. I liked it before I hosted a gambling podcast just because it's so information-packed. I liked it after I started hosting a gambling podcast because it has it has such great detailed boxes team by team, page wise, you can take gambling notes on. So love the magazine. Love your work, Phil. I've been reading a long time and uh, really, really stoked to get you on the show. How are you doing today? I'm doing great, Chase. I appreciate you being a longtime reader. And, uh, you know, the magazine's set up for quick, easy reference. It really helps when you're doing radio and TV shows. I know I use it all the time. You're you're absolutely right. It's perfect for media types. It's perfect for people that want to dive in just to college football and go league by league. I want to start broad here with you. Is it as simple at the top? You know, when you when you guys get into all the research, you and your team, is it as simple as, at the top as Alabama versus Ohio State? Or do you think there's going to be a little more depth to this season than that? Well, the beautiful thing is every college football season, uh, things change. Uh, there's always injuries. Uh, different players emerge, but it sure looks like we're headed for Alabama, Ohio State this year. And I'll I'll say this, Chase, you go back to last year, and I talked to 120 of the 131 head coaches this year. And last year, after I talked to the coaches, almost all of them, I'd say 90%, said, Phil, this is the deepest team I've ever had. We went three deep in the spring because of COVID. Everybody was back. But the teams that didn't have three deep in the spring and everybody back where the powerhouses talking about Ohio state, which didn't even make the big 10 title game. Clemson didn't even make the ACC title game. Uh, Oklahoma didn't even make the big 12 title game. And then you look at Alabama, they lost to Texas A&M barely got past Florida and LSU and should have lost to Auburn at Bigsby not run out of bounds. They needed a late fourth down or late drive in the fourth quarter with about a minute to go to force overtime and win in four, or they wouldn't even have made the playoff last year. This year, everybody's on the same par. It's not uh, everybody has 17, 18, 19 returning starters except for them. So I do think we see a return to the powerhouses, Clemson winning the ACC, Oklahoma winning the Big 12, Ohio State winning the Big 10. And it looks like Ohio State and Bama have the two best rosters in the country. It definitely looks like it. What, what conference race would you say you're most 
interested in in terms of just competition intrigue uh most most competitors most people that could win it you can kind of define that however you want but which conference are you looking at the most in, in that kind of way I'm going to go with the Big 12 this year. And uh, when I look at the Big 12, I do project Oklahoma. I've got them favored in all 12 games this year. I think they've got a great shot at going 12-0. and 0. But when you look at the Big 12, you've got Oklahoma. You've got Baylor and Oklahoma State, the two teams that met for the title game last year. Uh, you have a Kansas State team that returns the most all-conference players in the league and adds in Adrian Martinez. If he goes back to his freshman form, team him with Deuce Vaughn and an excellent receiving core, they could be dangerous. But it goes on with in the Big 12. Uh, you know, Texas is a team that three of my nine sets of power ratings call the best team in the Big 12 and even in the bottom part of the Big 12. And I think there will be some upsets this year. You take a look at a team like Iowa State. Matt Campbell's back in his wheelhouse as an underdog. Right, Didn't exactly. fare so well when he was in the top 10, but now he's an underdog. He'll pull some upsets this year. TCU, Sonny Dykes is a guy that uh, when I talked to him going over the team, very pleased with the talent he inherited. Neil Brown, you know, their big question mark last year was probably quarterback, and they fixed that with JT Daniels coming in. Texas Tech, Joey McGuire's a guy who, after you get off the phone with him, you want to run through a brick wall. He's very enthusiastic, and he's got a lot of talent returning, and even Kansas. Lance Leipold last year took over after spring practice, and you get to the last three games of the season, they're a 1-8 squad. They're going nowhere. They upset Texas nearly upset TCU, nearly upset West Virginia. Now he's got 17 returning starters and a full season under his belt. I think the bottom part of the Big 12 is going to pull some upsets over the top part, and it's probably the, the closest conference top to bottom. I agree. We had uh, we had Colby Dan on the podcast last week, and he was pounding the table for Kansas, just the win total. Just all they've got to do is get to 3-9. and nine. They've, they've beaten a Big 12 team in three of the last four years. I think the I think you're exactly right. I think the bottom of that conference has come up, and it's just I don't know if it's one to ten competitive for the conference title, but it's certainly one to ten competitive. I think you're absolutely right about that. Yeah, definitely, Chase. When you when you go through all the teams, because you know you do write ups on 131 FBS teams, did you identify a few teams? And I think you make it clear in some of your notes, but but for the for the listeners who maybe are looking to to buy the book and haven't seen it yet. Which teams did you identify as maybe the media is too low here on this team and you think they're going to be a lot better than the consensus is? Or maybe this is, you know, there's a team that's overrated that people are too high on. What were a couple teams that kind of stick out in your mind as maybe people don't have the, the goods on what they're going to be this year? Yeah, I would say to me, the most underrated team out there is probably the Auburn Tigers. And, you know, Auburn went through a, a rough off season. Uh, Harson held on to his job and all the talk was, wow, all these players are hitting the transfer portal. It must be a toxic situation at Auburn. Chase, I've been writing the magazine for 28 years, and I can tell you that there's a lot of first year head coaches that get rid of a lot of bad apples. The bad apples leave and all of a sudden what they're left with is a team that's bought in. I think that's what we have here. Here at Auburn. Auburn, the bad apples are gone. You have a team completely bought in. And really looking at Auburn, who is picked seventh, by the way, in the SEC media in the SEC West, uh, the whole outlook of Auburn would be a lot different had Bigsby not run out of bounds, had they held on to that lead against Alabama, yeah. finished with a winning season. Mm -hmm. You'd be looking at Auburn in a completely different frame of mind. So one play doesn't make them a bad team. And then you look at this year, I think they're talented on both sides of the ball. Uh, especially at the line of scrimmage. you got my number 10 rated offensive line, number nine rated defensive line. And look at their schedule. 
I have them favored in their first five games. So if they open up the year 5-0 and when they travel to Georgia, I think they're going to be playing with a lot of confidence. So I think Auburn is probably the most underrated team out there. Everybody thinks they're going to be horrible and that Harson's got a toxic situation, which I don't agree with. Then you look at Michigan State. Now, Michigan State finished great last year, 11-2. and I thought Mel Tucker did a phenomenal job. But, you know, if you peel back the layer a little bit, they were actually minus – uh, 56 yards per game on the season. Now, how many teams go minus 56 yards per game and win 11 games? That just doesn't happen. So it's a Michigan State team that did it with a little bit of smoke and mirrors last year. They lose their outstanding running back in Kenneth Walker. They've got some losses up front on the offensive line. And defensively, let's face it, they weren't very good last year. They gave up 442 yards per game. Even if they're improved, you know, they can get that down to – maybe 370 yards per game. They're still not a great defense. I don't think they're going to come anywhere near last year's 11-win total. I think they're more of a 7-8 win team this year. And that's about where the the Vegas markets have them as well, in, in that 7, 7.5 range. One of the best tools you have in the magazine is, is this this stock market indicator that, that kind of it, it takes quantitatively teams what they did last year and kind of does exactly what you're speaking to right now, which is, Hey, this team, I get that they won 11 wins last year, but when you look at what they actually did on the field and the numbers and everything, you're probably looking at some negative regression here or some positive regression here. And Michigan State stood out to me as well. I didn't know you were going to say Auburn and Michigan State, but the number one team I had circled after I read the magazine was Auburn. Every team preview I would read and then I would go look and say, okay, what's the what's the, what's the the win total here? What are we looking at in terms of the gambling markets? And I read the Auburn one and, and exactly how you lay it out. Top 10 line of scrimmage, both sides of the ball. Like they're, they're going to be good this year. Don't think of them as, as what they were last year or kind of the messy offseason that Harson had down there. Like this is a talented team. They're going to be very competitive. And then you go look at the win total and it's six and a half. And you're thinking, well, they can go seven and five. I mean, I know the SEC West is good, but yeah, I, I think you're right on on Auburn. I, I think uh, we talked about it a little last week. I want to pound the table a little bit more for Auburn because I, I think you've identified something really clever there. Yeah, you have to be feeling pretty good if you jump out to five and zero and you're over six and a half. Yeah, and and they have uh, you you go look at Auburn's schedule five straight home games. That's that's I think one of the strongest positions that you can go take out there and kind of flying under the radar. I wanted to ask you a couple of process questions. Writing this magazine like you guys do, like you and your team does, is hard enough, and then you have all the extra COVID eligibility. And now you add in all the transport portal stuff, and the portal's been around four or five years now, but it's clearly gone to another level the last 12 or 24 months in terms of all the names coming in and going out. How difficult is it to, to track all that? You have, a, you have a note you put toward the front of the magazine where you say, look, we go to press later because we want to be as accurate as possible. How difficult is it to track all that? And what are, what are the difficulties that you're working through when you write this up? Yeah, that's a great question, Chase, and uh, I'll take you through the process completely with one team and uh, and show you how it can change and, and how it's different than it was, uh, let's say, 10 years ago. But yes, with the transfer portal, I mean, every single day during magazine season, we start the end of November right after the uh, Thanksgiving Sunday, 
and we go all the way through the start of June. Uh, I've got somebody walks in my office says this player's gone, this player's back, and I have to adjust power ratings all off season long. But let me let me take you to the case of USC, and and it'll peel back the layers of how we write the magazine. I write the magazine in a three write through process. The first one is the postseason write through. Now I've just watched every game. I got twelve TVs in front of me. I've watched replays of the games, and then I we have a service that sends us the articles every day. We get those all in one section and I will read through the entire season of articles all over again to get every single position fresh in my mind, all the ebbs and flows of what happened, what might be an underrated unit, what might be an overrated unit for the year. And then we write the uh, the first write through process. What kind of shape was each position coming into the year? What happened and what can you expect next year? When I did this with USC this year, at that point, after the first write through process, I had a middle of the road in the Pac-12 South. Let's face it, they were a four and eight team last year. They had a first year head coach and only had 11 returning starters. Not much to go on there as far as being a Pac-12 contender. Then the second right through process is when we get the spring rosters in and we update the freshmen. They started to move up a little, but they still weren't very high in the Pac-12 South. Uh, and then the third right through process is after spring practice is over and after I've talked to the head coach and he's done his post-spring interviews. Now, I'm talking to Coach Lincoln Riley, ironically, on the day they signed Jordan Addison from Pitt. So mm. now, all of a sudden, at quarterback, they've got Williams coming over from uh, Oklahoma, who was my number one rated quarterback coming out of high school and did great in the second half of the year. And, of course, is a, a Heisman candidate this year. At wide receiver, they bring over another Williams from Oklahoma, who was my number two rated wide receiver out of high school. And uh, had a great year at Oklahoma State. They've got the Blitnikoff winner in Jordan Addison. They've got a 1,000-yard rusher in Travis Dye from Oregon. And when I talked to Coach Riley going over the offensive line with him, he told me he really likes the top-end experience and didn't expect to inherit this much talent. So I felt better about the offensive line. Defensively, he brought in about 13 transfers, including a guy like Shane Lee, who started all 13 games as a freshman at Alabama. Yeah, he's good. So now all <laughs> of a sudden, uh, USC is my number one most improved team in the country and a legitimate contender in the Pac-12 South behind Utah. So that never happened 10, 15 years ago, Chase. There wasn't that much change from the postseason right through through the end of it, and it makes it a little more complex. I got another process question for you that I'm really curious about. Uh, there's a personal element to this one, but I, I do think it's it's applicable to everybody. So I'm a, I'm a James Madison alumnus, and I was really excited. I, I know you've done the FCS preview in the past, but it is different to see you know your school in the FBS magazine in there as one of the 131. I was so curious. I got to the end of your forecast for JMU, and, and it basically says uh, – my model says anywhere from two to 10 win, which is, you know, that's a big range. I'm curious, what are the challenges when you grade a, a school like that that's coming up from FCS? And, and JMU is doing something really unique in that they're not just coming up from FCS. They're going straight into a full Sunbelt schedule. No, no transitional sequence, nothing. What are the challenges when you have a, a unique situation like that? Yeah, and and Chase, I have nine sets of power ratings, which I plug into my computer. And uh, so it plays out the schedule for each of the power ratings. And, and it did come up that big of a difference from two to 10. I guess some of the power ratings had a tough time adjusting the FCS up to it. And other ones assumed that they would step right in. And let's face it, this year, they're going to be very close to the 85 scholarship players. So it's not like your normal 
process period where you're trying to get up to 85, I think with the transfer portal. And the COVID stuff as well. They've said that's been helpful too. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And, uh, you know, they only have nine returning starters that hurt. I mean, if this team was loaded and coming in with 11 starters on offense, 11 starters on defense, I probably would be much higher towards the top end of that. But uh, I'm, I'm a little concerned about that. And I remember last year, with JMU, they had to go to a pass game because their offensive line got beat up and the running backs got beat up. And then all of a sudden, Cole Johnson emerged and amazing year, 41 touchdown passes, four interceptions. I don't think we're going to see that this year from James Madison. I think they go back towards more of a run game. Todd Santale's more of a, he's a guy that's a great running quarterback. So I think we will see more of a run game that factored in a little bit too, as far as how tough this is. And then, you know, I was trying to find out from coach Signetti when I was talking to him, how he felt about it. And I think he's a little unsure of how they fit in as well. So it's not just my power ratings. I think there's, a lot of questions that you have coming in, but there's no doubt JMU has been just a premier FCS program the last couple of years. And I think they're going to come in and, and be one of the top six teams in a very tough Sunbelt East division. If they were probably playing in the West, I probably would have picked them second in the West, maybe third, but the East is just a brutal division. It's stacked. It's, it's the best division in G5 football, I think, yes. now, when you when you look at what they added. But I, I think you're exactly right on. I talked to a bunch. I did a big social media event last week or uh, last night with a bunch of uh, bunch of JMU people. I talked to a bunch of beat reporters. You're exactly right. It's it's not just what they it's not just what they lost to graduation or, or, or anything. They lose Antoine Wells to South Carolina. Uh, they, they lose uh, key defensive pieces. Demonte Tucker Dorsey goes down to Texas, and it looks like he's going to start for the Longhorns there. So, just like a lot of a lot of brain drain, a very weird transitional year. I think even if I wasn't an alumnus, it, that'll be a very interesting team and school to watch this year, just because of all the variables and, and the uniqueness of the situation. Before I let you go, want to talk a little Week One. Uh, we are, of course, a handicapping podcast. We like to preview upcoming games and uh, and get a couple of predictions. So, I'm looking at this Week One schedule. Big-time games, obviously, on the schedule. Uh, West Virginia's playing Pitt in the renewed backyard brawl on Thursday night. Very excited about that. NC State is a 10-point favorite at East Carolina. Oregon is playing Georgia. Big point spread there. Cincinnati's a six-and-a-half-point dog at Arkansas. Utah, short road favorite at Florida. And then Notre Dame getting the bucket of points at Ohio State. I don't necessarily need you to talk point spreads or anything. Just in general, looking at that slate, any of those games or any other games that you're thinking about for week one, uh, any, any predictions or any interesting things that you're going to be watching for? Yeah, I think out of those games, uh, the, the three games that uh, I like, uh, you know, for Utah, the fact that they're laying less than three points on the road, I really feel Utah has got a chance of, of actually making it to the playoff this year if they run the table. And this may be their toughest test. Florida's in the first game under Billy Napier. Uh, so you need, you have to wonder about the transition process, and there's usually a slow start for a first-year head coach. Now, it is in the swamp. It is in the heat and humidity, but it, it will be a night, which uh, lessens that a little bit. Uh, I sort of like Utah laying less than three in that game. I, if it was over three, I'd be questionable, but if it's under three, I, I like Utah uh, minus the points there. And then two dogs to look at for this opening uh, week. Uh, I think when you look at East Carolina, they were a spread darling for me last year. I mean, I, I used them against uh, Marshall and they covered, Tulane and they covered, UCF, five, six, seven. I think they won uh, eight in a row against the spread for me last year. And Mike Houston has by far his best team that he's got coming back. It's mm-hmm. his fourth year. They've got seven starters on offense, eight on defense. 
Uh, Ehlers is back at QB. That defense was small and speedy when he took over. He wanted a bigger D-line. He's finally got that bigger D-line now. This is by far his best team, and they were a spread darling for me last year. They're going to be fired up at home. It's going to be a sellout crowd. It's going to be a – remember East Carolina when uh, McNeil was there as the head coach, how loud that stadium was? I think we're yeah. going to see that here. And NC State's got a lot of preseason pub going on, and that's why the line's up there at 10. I do think NC State's a really good team, but I think East Carolina's going to make a game of it. I'll take the points and uh, play have them play closer than expected. And then the third one to talk about – would probably be Notre Dame against Ohio State. And that line just keeps going up and up and up. And, yes, Ohio State is a premier team, but Notre Dame's not too shabby. And unlike most first-year head coaches, Marcus Freeman has extreme knowledge of this team because he was a defensive coordinator last year. They have my number nine-rated offensive line, number six-rated defensive line. In fact, overall, their linebackers are number 10. The DBs are number five. They've got a really good defense to match up with that Ohio State offense, and they've got weapons on offense. With Tyler Buckner at QB, uh, Avery Davis and Braden Lindsey at uh, wide receiver and a top-notch offensive line, plus they're solid on special teams. I think Notre Dame keeps that one closer than expected. I'll take anything over 14, and I don't know, last time I checked, I thought it was heading up towards even 16 on that one. So I sort of like Notre Dame plus the points as well. For, for anybody that's that's listening in the audience that hasn't bought the Phil Steele college football preview yet, I would absolutely recommend it. Uh, what What's your top selling point for somebody that's like, mm, I don't know, I'm on the fence, or maybe they haven't seen your work before? What, what would you throw out there like, this is the number one reason you've got to go get this? Walk into a bookstore, find a copy, and open it up, and you will be amazed. <laughs> <laughs> that That is... That's that's going to sound broad to people, but that's absolutely yeah. true. Yeah. It just overwhelms you all the information's there. Three to four times the amount of information of any other magazine. There's no frilly pictures. There's not, you know, spread out information. You may need reading glasses if you're older, but uh, <laughs> this thing has got, it's like getting 131 media guides rolled into one. And there's Anything you want to look up during the course of the year, you want to know a score from four years ago yeah. and what the line was in the game, yeah. it's there. You want to know who the leading rusher was, you know exactly where to look, and you know whether he's coming back or not, whether he's bold or unbold. You want to know uh, anything about the game that's upcoming, we give you an information on both sides. We give you the spread logs for the last 10 years, complete right up on each position. And like I said, I talked to 120 of the coaches. Our starting lineup just doesn't give you a player's name and his height and weight. It gives you where he ranked coming out of high school what he's done so far in college. Uh, we give you a complete forecast on everything. I mean, the, the magazine is just loaded. It, it has, and it's quicker, easier reference than the internet because all the information is in the same spot on every page for all 131 teams. It is uh, my favorite summer tradition reading this magazine. I, I think you touched on this. It's it's not just valuable for the preseason, right? It's, it's such a good in-season acquisition because you have all of this information that's relevant to betting and ATS trends, not just for every team, but for every game on every team's schedule, spreads going back five years. Uh, I love it. It's my favorite thing that I buy every summer. Phil Steele, if you haven't bought the magazine yet, get to your nearest bookstore, order it online, whatever you got to do. And I love the regional covers too. That's a nice touch as well uh, that you can see on the back. Uh, Phil Steele, thanks so much for coming on the Lion's Edge. Really appreciate your time, man. Hey, a lot of fun talking with you, Chase. Uh, I always appreciate talking to longtime readers of the magazine. So good talking to you. Once again, thanks to Phil Steele for stopping by the podcast. Really appreciate his time. Great insights there. I hope you uh, hope you enjoyed it. No bullshit, guys. 
If you have not checked out Phil Steele's magazine before, I meant everything I said. Great gambling resource. It's not just a great resource for college football fans, people who are curious about maybe their conference or their team or other teams that their team is going to play. It is a great gambling resource. Tons of ATS record stats, data going back five years, game-to-game data, I mean, and then it previews every single game on the schedule for every single team with matchup notes and handicapping notes. Really, really nice asset that I use every year, and I'm so stoked to uh, spend time with it again. Uh, he act, he also hooked me up. We talked a little bit afterwards. Uh, he hooked me up with a year of Phil Steele Plus, which I've never tried before. Really anxious to get in there and uh, see what's going on. So special thanks to Phil Steele, and I'll let you guys know uh, how the Phil Steele Plus product is. I'm really excited to try it out. Uh, he speaks very highly of it. No easy way to transition from college football to another sport, but if you're paying attention to the sports calendar, it's August 29th. You guys know what we got to do right now. It's U.S. Open time, and I've got the goods for you, all right? This is a full transparency podcast, right? Week zero did not go great. I was probably overdue to give some week zero money back. I have murdered week zero like six straight years. So not a great outing, but we're going to make all that money back and more here with the U.S. Open. Everybody knows the deal with the Lion's Edge podcast and tennis. It is where I pay my bills. So I got six, not one, not two, not three, not four, not five, six first round picks for you. So I hope you're locked into the podcast early. Here we go. Pick number one, Maxime Cressy playing against Martin Fuksovics. He's a Hungarian who is not very good at hard court. Guess what surface the U.S. Open is on? Hard court. Cressy is the play. The problem, it's an obvious play. The problem here is that Cressy is a minus 300 favorite. Some of you guys are going to blush a little bit at the suggestion of betting a minus 300 favorite. I understand. I'm not judging. I'm just here to tell you Cressy should be minus 500 or minus 600. He should not be minus 300. This is an inherently valuable position. I will be throwing the bankroll at it. I think you should consider it as well. If you're looking for something a little more conservative, you can go hunt down the game line. I believe it's Cressy minus three and a half uh, with uh, about minus 150 juice. And recall here, it's the U.S. Open. So you're talking about best of five, not best of three. A lot easier to hit that minus three and a half. Uh, I think even in a best of three sets, uh, this would be a, a minus three and a half. So also a valuable position to take a peek at that game line. Either way, Cressy is the spot, also the biggest favorite we're going to be betting. From here on out, we're looking at short favorites and dogs. Speaking of short favorites, bet number two, Zhijin Zhang, minus 165, playing against the Dutchman, Tim Van Richthoven. Here's the deal with Richthoven. I'm dropping major bars here, all right? This dude has not won a main draw hardcore tour match ever. Never, not ever, never. Okay, he's and he's a tour player. Like he is a known guy. I want to say he's the second highest rated Dutch player on the professional men's tour. But he's just not a hardcore guy. He'll play qualifiers. He'll play challenger matches. But when he gets up to playing with the big boys on hardcore in the main draw of tournaments, the guy has never won. Never. It's never happened. 
I went all the way back to 2015 when he was playing on the junior tour. That was the last time I could find anything really worth talking about. He won a second round match at the Junior Australian Open in 2015. That's how long it's been since this guy had a nice hardcourt win. So put aside the qualifiers, put aside the challenger matches. This guy, he doesn't win in spots like this. Inter Zhi Zhang, up and coming Chinese player, a little bit younger, minus 165. He is a qualifier who won three matches last week, played his way into the draw. That's how he gets into this spot. So if you follow me, you know I love to bet qualifier favorites, lower-seeded favorites, unseeded favorites, lower-ranked favorites. That's a spot I really like because of the marketplace forces in play. I don't need to go into all that. I've explained it before, uh, but you can certainly go find those explanations that I've written up before they're out there. The point is, if a qualifier is a favorite, there is a reason the book is so down on the guy on the other side of the court. So we are backing the Xi Jinjiang minus 165 side here. Uh, I, I really like what he did last week, and I think he's going to get the win here and advance to the second round. A dog for you on the men's side. Yoshihito Nishioka plus 135 versus Alexander Davidovich Fakina. Uh, we have talked about Nishioka before. I believe he was even an air horn pick before earlier this month. He's playing really well right now on hardcourt. He had a really nice run at the City Open up I-95 from me in Washington, D.C. Made it all the way to the finals before he lost to Nick Kyrgios. He is just straight up playing better tennis right now. Fakina, not great on hardcourt. I believe he has not won a match on hardcourt since March, since the Miami Open uh, back in late March. So Nishioka just has superior form right now. He's the dog because he is a lower-ranked player. And as we know, rankings don't mean squat. So Nishioka plus the 135, I think this should be basically a pick em. Great number there to back the dog. My favorite match of the week, or at least of the first round, Lucia Bronzetti on the women's side. Lucia Bronzetti plus 100 against Lauren Davis. I have no idea. Last I saw, Lauren Davis was a minus 130 nominal favorite at BetMGM. I have no idea why Lauren Davis is the favorite in this spot. I'm serious. I, I can't figure it out. I have looked at this match 11 different ways. Bronzetti is the better hardcourt player. She's the better hardcourt player right now. She has better form. She, Lauren Davis is in a tailspin. I believe she's lost six of her last seven matches. She hasn't won a hardcourt match in almost six months. I don't understand it. The only reason I can figure out why Lauren Davis would be the favorite in this spot is that Lucia Bronzetti is Italian and Lauren Davis is from Ohio. And this is being played in Flushing Meadows at the U.S. Open. That's it. That's all I can figure out, and that is not a reason to bet on somebody uh, just because they are American playing on American soil. Americans lose all the time on American soil and everywhere else. So this isn't even, you know, Lauren Davis isn't even a particularly highly ranked American player. She's outside of the top 100 right now. Bronzetti, plus 100, even odds. My favorite play of the day. I am heavy on this because it's just such a bad number. It's the second bad women's tennis number I've seen in about two weeks. Uh, some really, really bad ones getting thrown up there. How about Elise Cornette? French player plus 115 against last year's U.S. Open champ, Emma Raducanu. 
Emma Raducanu had an awesome year last year, and she capped off her hardcourt season by winning the U.S. Open and really jumping onto the WTA scene, announcing herself as a threat on the women's tour. All that's great. She's kind of played like shit this year. She has a sub-500 record on hardcourt. Uh, not really what you want to see. And Elise Cornette has a reputation as somebody that beats big players in big spots. Uh, she ended Iga Sviatek's run at Wimbledon when Sviatek had that big, long 37-match winning streak or whatever it was. Uh, Cornette is the one that did her in. And I think you're going to see a similar outcome in this particular spot. Usually when you're looking at the, the reigning major champion at that major, you're going to have to lay more than minus 150 to buy that position. The fact that Raducanu is only minus 150 in this spot, I think it's the book kind of tipping their cards on what they think of her play right now, and it's uh, it's not very highly. So there's another dog for you, Cornette plus 115. Third dog of the set here. Let's go one more. Donka Kovinic plus 290, the Montenegrin woman, playing against... Serena Williams, probably the most watched first round match of the U.S. Open on either side, men's or women's. We expect this to be a heavily watched match. Serena Williams is minus 400, and the only reason she's minus 400 is because her name is Serena Williams, and she's playing at the U.S. Open. Like, that's it. There's no other reason. She has won one match in 14 months. She's almost 41 years old. Serena Williams is the greatest women's player of all time, but she's an almost 41-year-old who's won one match in 14 months. You cannot bet her. You especially can't bet her at four bucks. So even though Kavinic hasn't exactly been in the best form of late, if you're giving me almost three to one, to beat a player who's won one match in 14 months and is about to turn 41, I'm taking that all day, every day. Serena could win this easily, but this is about the number to me, and the number for Kovinich is so shot out of a cannon marketplace-wise that you have to come in and buy here. Those picks again, two favorites, four dogs, all the way down. Cressy minus 300, Zhang minus 165, Nishioka plus 135, Bronzetti plus 100, Cornette plus 115, and Kovinich plus 290. All of those numbers, of course, from the BetMGM online sportsbook. Thanks for checking out the Lions Edge podcast. Enjoy the tennis winners. Hope you enjoyed the conversation with Phil Steele. We will be back on Thursday of this week with another podcast. Looking ahead to week one, talking about the Big 12, a couple other things for you there. Uh, Until then, thanks for checking out the Lion's Edge podcast. Hope to see you back here Thursday. Take it easy.